We've explored much of the modern world. Today, very little is left to tempt the imagination. We've succeeded in climbing the highest mountains. We've traveled to the depths of the ocean. There's not a lot on our planet that we haven't seen. It seems then that now, what remains of adventure, at least on Earth, isn't to discover where human beings have yet to go, but instead, where we've been. A new film, produced in cooperation with PBS and National Geographic, takes a look at the discovery and exploration of an ancient civilization. High in the Himalaya, in the most remote kingdom in the world, explorers find thousands of mysterious caves. Their dark portals beckon with the promise of a glimpse into a lost world. Now a team of climbers and scholars set out to reach them for the first time. Inside, priceless centuries-old wall paintings adorn sacred cave shrines. It's just unbelievable how long it's been here. Hidden cave temples are hewn into the mountainsides. In another cave, a masterpiece nearly 25 feet long. And the most stunning find of all. There's some incredible things in this next room, Pete. Oh my God. A giant room filled with texts, piles of texts. They believe the caves hold ancient evidence that this was once a sacred valley, an earthly paradise. Some have called Shangri-La. The new film, The Secrets of Shangri-La, Quest for Secret Caves, premiered at the 2009 Banff Mountain Film Festival. Producer and professional mountain guide Peter Athens takes us on an amazing journey to reveal the great mysteries of a long-ago culture once forgotten. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. Circling in motion, devotion, trying to sum your inner strength. One begets the other, each other. One begets the answer. Tell me a little bit about how you first became aware of these secret caves and how you got involved in the expedition to research and discover them. It's a long story talking about the origins of the cave in my mind, but I'll encapsulate it pretty quickly. My wife did a film on ancient Tibetan art that was filmed in the capital city of Mustang called Lomontang, which featured the restoration of two 14th century beautiful monasteries. And she lived in Lomontang for a period of about three months doing this film. So she had a comprehensive knowledge of the different locations in Mustang where predominantly where a lot of caves were. I had actually traveled in lower Mustang, which is an unrestricted area, starting as early as 1981, where I went through the village of Kogbeni, which is used to be the former capital of all of Mustang. This is before the 14th century. But Kogbeni is a, a beautiful place. It's also a place that I went to several years later and worked providing eye care in the form of cataract surgeries for people who suffer from cataract blindness. So 
We had this knowledge of Mustang. The caves are ubiquitous. If you travel up along the Kalegandaki watershed, which is the great watershed, which is between Dalagiri and Annapurna, and if you, you'll see you'll see the caves, and you'll naturally want to know who created them, how people got into them, why they were created, are they still being used today? All manner of different questions come from that, and we knew that they were at that time off limits to to go inside. But we started to work with people from the Department of Archaeology in Nepal, and we also worked with people from the Annapurna Conservation Area Project in Mustang itself to have the first permission to, to go inside. And we had Nepalese archaeologists come with us alongside our other foreign advisors and, and academics and researchers that came from Oxford University, came from University of Arizona, and came from the Rubin Museum of Art in New York City. What is it about these caves that makes them so compelling? Looking at your film, I can see that there are a wide variety of different types of wall paintings, but there's also quite a bit of manuscript and small packages of what are described as amulets. They're prayer bundles that people wear wear around their necks in an amulet type of style. People will wear them for protection. But you're right, there are some of the artifacts that we were able to, to locate in the caves, and that ranges from everything from the library that you mentioned, which included more than 10,000 pages of individual folios, to those types of artifacts. We found a variety of different types of ceramic materials as well, some completely intact, others of course not. We were able to find human remains in several caves as well. So we found ourselves in a situation having to catalog and inventory a variety of different types of artwork, artifacts, cave murals, and also just the practices of people you know, using them today, because many of the caves in northern Mustang, people have renovated and are living inside in certain places. So we see cave culture permeating really several thousand years of culture going through the Kalagandaki watershed. Part of the history of this is the subjugation of the Bon culture as Buddhism came into being. How much of that was part of being able to wall these artifacts off for them to be discovered hundreds of years later. What's interesting to realize is that these caves have been periodically inhabited by a variety of different cultures. The Buddhist and the Bon would probably be considered to be more of the late inhabitants of these caves. Probably what's interesting for most people to realize is that, you know, Buddhism has a reputation of being a very peaceful, tranquil religion, which it generally is. But at the time of the 7th century, when the Bun was effectively deposed by the Buddhists, you know, there was a strong political effort by the kings of Tibet and by various other factions in western, western Tibet to eliminate Bun culture. Bun was given this reputation as being this benighted, dark, black magic type of tradition. And you, you have to understand that almost all the animistic traditions, you know, everything from Bon culture, which looks very much like Buddhism, to black, dark sorcery and witchcraft were thrown in, you know, to this animistic title that people knew as Bon. So it was very easy to demonize the Bon traditions. But if you look at it much more closely on an academic level, much of the practices of Buddhism today have been inherited from the Bon traditions. I have to assume that you had to establish relationships with the local inhabitants of the region. How difficult was it to coincide your interests as an expedition leader with the religious and cultural priorities of the people who lived there? 
The important thing to realize when you're doing anthropological work, archaeological work, and you want access to some of some of these edifices, to some of these monuments that exist in, in these people's homes, is that you have to move forward really with, with great patience and be willing to both back off of your own your own objectives and to to scale back your expectations and to try to meet them where they are and try to understand where they are. We had several archaeologists from Nepal who were with us at the time. We had people from the Annapurna Area Conservation Area Project who were with us as well. So we tried to engender membership from the local communities uh, to come with us inside the caves. Every time we went inside a cave, we invited people from the community to go in, and, and many times they accepted. So, you know, we, we found ourselves having to do some, do some uh, guiding to get people in and around the caves, which is featured in the film and, you know, pretty, pretty well documented in the film and was fun for us because we found ourselves in, in certain, certain times people were very suspicious of our motives. Um, but when we brought them inside the caves, we showed them that we were, you know, packaging up these materials that they were going down to be photographed and studied and then the, then they were being moved to the monasteries that we we didn't have any intention of removing the physical manuscripts or antiquities or or any other thing that we found inside the caves we were really there to study them to try to create this inventory of the materials and you know ultimately our our intentions are to have a a project that will probably be going on for several decades I mean high mountain archaeology is in its infancy The Secrets of Shangri-La, Quest for Secret Caves, airs nationwide on PBS. Check your local listings for broadcast dates and times. You can learn more about Peter Athens and his work to preserve ancient Tibetan art and culture online at nationalgeographic.com or pbs.org. For the Joy Chip Project, this is James Mills. How many people take their New music this week by Chad Ferran from his album, Another Ride. Find him online at chadferran.com. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of our sponsors, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, REI, and Patagonia. Special thanks this week to the New Belgium Brewing Company for underwriting in part travel expenses to Banff to make this edition possible. We don't take money from just anyone. Sponsors of the Joy Trip Project support our mission of an active lifestyle through outdoor recreation and community involvement. Support us by supporting them. Find the links to their websites on our website at joytripproject.com. Thanks for listening. But you know, we want to hear from you. So please drop us a message by email at info at joytripproject.com or find us on Facebook. Share your pictures and your stories. Share your passion for outdoor recreation, environmental conservation, acts of charitable giving, and practices of sustainable living. And you just might inspire our next joy trip together. But most of all, don't forget to tell your friends. Until next time, take care. Take care.